And now Danny's going to come and end our Go series. So let's give it up for Danny. Good morning, church. You all doing well today? Good. Hey, for those of you who are, uh, who are on our uh, church's Facebook page or, or get to see my Facebook page, this week I put a, uh, some information about a church, a sister vineyard church in Franklinton, which is down near downtown, uh, just a tough section of town here in Columbus. This church, uh, vineyard church in Franklinton, for the third time was uh, broken into and robbed. And this time, they, last week, they got... Uh, the robbers were able to get in and get a lot of their sound equipment and this and that. And what I said on the Facebook page is that we're going to take a collection up uh, by using the benevolence boxes in the back. We're going to take a collection, and everything that goes into those benevolence boxes today uh, are, is going to go to the Franklinton Vineyard. Just a, a really faithful pastor, Paul Bradshaw is down there, has been wonderfully reaching out to this, this uh, depressed area. And it's just a shame that they've been dealing with, you know, with crime and, and people stealing their items. I want us to be able to come and generously give. So when you leave today, let me encourage you to, to be generous. Put uh, checks, put cash, diamond rings, whatever you want. Put it in the benevolence boxes and everything that goes in the boxes we will forward down to uh, Paul Bradshaw on the Franklinton Vineyard. You can make checks out to Vineyard Church of Delaware County and we'll just put them all together, write one check for the Franklinton Vineyard. So good thing to be able to support our brothers and sisters, whether they're a vineyard or not. Well, let's go ahead and pray and we're going to finish up our series that we've been calling Go and uh, we'll jump right into that. Father, we thank you so much uh, that you have called us, you've called us to be able to come alongside our brothers and sisters. We thank you that you've called us to participate in, in, in your ministry and to be your disciples. So, Father, give me grace uh, this morning that I can speak with uh, clarity and, and, and passion. Lord, help me to communicate those things that you have been writing on my heart for, for this time, for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, those of you who have been here over the last number of months, we've been uh, involved in a series, we're calling it Go, and it's uh, the, the springboard verse for this entire series is Jesus' words at the end of his earthly ministry. Sometimes it's called the, the Great Commission, where in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, having gathered them to his uh, side, he says, now I want you to go and make disciples, and teach those disciples to do everything that I've commanded you to do. Our whole premise for this entire Go series is that we are called to be disciples, and we are called to make disciples. That is, that is the, the mission the, that God has given us. That is the calling on our lives. It's not a call to go to church. It's not a call to certain behaviors. It's not a, a call to, to avoid certain behaviors. The call on the Christian life is to be disciples, to make disciples. And by a disciple, we've defined that as those who are more than just learning truth about who Jesus was. A disciple is, is, uh, is someone who is, is imitating Jesus, a disciple is someone who is allowing Christ to be formed in them, that the character, the, the, the desires, the passion of Jesus through the Holy Spirit would be formed in us. Now, it's, it's not a coincidence at all. I don't think that God has us end this series on this particular Sunday, which is, is Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday where Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It's, it's the last week of his ministry. And for those of you who, are, who, are, who have read the scriptures, you understand that Palm Sunday had great significance. There was a feast going on in Jerusalem. And when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on this final week, Jesus, knowing he was going to face the cross, 
some things that occurred in that week will help us to understand some principles in being disciples. So let's jump right into the passage. John chapter 12, verse 12, we'll catch it and see what happens as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It says in verse 12, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches, went out to meet him, and shouted, and were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it was written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey colt. At first, the disciples didn't understand this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So here Jesus is coming into town. His reputation preceded him. They understood that he had been one who, who brought healing, who brought hope, who, who dramatically changed people's lives. And as Jesus approached that town, the, the crowds there in Jerusalem heard he was coming and began to go ahead taking palm branches and line the road that Jesus entered, that, uh, entered Jerusalem uh, through. And this, the putting of palm branches was a common uh, practice for kings, for royalty, for, for war heroes, as war heroes or, or royalty would come into a certain city or a certain town, they would take palm branches and, and put them down on the road as they'd enter. It's similar to what we would do where we would put out a red carpet for someone who's, who's very important. The, the, those who were there in the crowds who were, who were lining that road when Jesus entered understood there was, something, there was something significant, there was something special about this man. They understood, perhaps not clearly, but they understood that Jesus was a significant rabbi in the first century. Jesus was one who God had sent, and different individuals had different expectations for who Jesus was and what he was going to do. And they lined the street as they came there. They had put the palm branches down and they began to sing Hosanna, literally praise God. This is the one who God has, has sent. He is, he is coming perhaps to be the, the king of Israel. They praised him. They, they acknowledged the significance of his life. And what amazes me and what I want us to see today is what a difference one week can make. Because on this particular Sunday, Jesus came in to the, to the shouts and to the great thrill and joy of, of those who were there. But one week later, we see a dramatic change in these very same followers of Jesus. Because a week later, listen to Listen to how they responded. In Matthew chapter 27, this is the end of that very same week. By this time now, their conquering hero, Jesus, had been arrested. And according to the Roman custom, what they would do during this, this feast is the, the governor, Pilate, would bring forward to the people of Israel a couple of, of prisoners, and, and he would ask, who do you want me to release? I'll release because we're just such good Romans and we're, you know, we're occupying your country, but we're, we're going to do something nice today. You tell me who you want me to release, and I'll release this prisoner, this prisoner of Rome, according to your wishes. So here on Palm Sunday, they were singing Hosanna and honoring Jesus, a week later, Pilate brings Jesus out and he brings another common criminal named Barabbas and he says to the, this very same crowd, he says, who do you want me to release? And what did they say? Barabbas. And listen to what, what Pilate says. What shall then I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked. 
And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What, what crime did he commit? Asked Pilate. But they shouted even louder, crucify him. Now what happened in that one short week that would allow these, these followers of, of Jesus to shift, to, to switch, and to, to turn so quickly. And we don't have to go back and, and ask these first century individuals what happened, because if you're like me, we, we see that same kind of fluctuation, that same kind of, of shift easily happen in our lives. I mean, how many times have you noticed, you know, at one moment one day during a conference at a special time you feel very close to God you're ready to lay your life down you're excited you're so thrilled with what Jesus is is doing in your life and then it could be a matter of days later you just feel dry you're so totally occupied with the things that are before you that that our lives become so distracted where we may not be calling for Jesus' crucifixion or death, but we are oblivious, we are indifferent to the influence that he's having in our lives. I see that in my life. And it concerns me, I hope it concerns you, that we can fluctuate, we can vacillate in our devotion to Christ. When, when we began this church, when we started this church, when we built this building, we, we put a, a verse on the dedication stone. There's a dedication stone. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, right on the wall to the, to the right of the front door. And it's quoting a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, where, where Paul was saying that he was concerned for the church in, in Corinth that they would be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of our devotion to Christ. That's something that has always captured me, that notion of how easy it is for us to be led astray, for us to be distracted from a pure and simple devotion to Christ. Do any of you see that in your life? You see how easy it is to, in one, one moment, be devoted and passionate about Jesus, and then at, a, at another time, oblivious or indifferent to his influence in your life. Well, if we are going to be disciples, if we're talking in this series about how to be, how to be disciples, how to make disciples, then we need to understand what causes that kind of, of fluctuation, what causes that kind of, of vacillation in our connection to Christ. And one of the reasons I believe that it happens that we need to recognize and we need to, to be aware of so we can respond to it, one of the reasons we see that kind of shifting, the same shift that we saw in those who saw Jesus on Palm Sunday and then saw him again a week later, is that we lose intimacy with Christ. We don't realize that Jesus has called us to come near. Those who were Jesus' disciples in the first century began that discipleship, that walk with Christ, not by praying some prayer, not by going forward in some service. They began their life as a disciple by responding to an invitation, the invitation of Christ to come and follow him. He said to James and John and Andrew and Peter and Matthew and Simon and so on, he said, come follow me. And each one of them had this opportunity to respond and to follow him and to get in step with him. And not just at one point in time, but every day to follow him. And if we lose sight that the foundation of the Christian life is walking with him, is intimacy with him, is connection with him, then we'll begin to see this great vacillation, this great fluctuation, this shifting of our simple and pure devotion to Christ. It'll just 
pour through our fingers. And why, why do we lose intimacy with Jesus so easily? Well, one of the reasons, actually, the Apostle Paul addressed when he was writing a young disciple of his in the, in the letter called First and Second Timothy, Paul said in, in, in Second Timothy, he said, in the last days, there will be individuals who have the, the form of godliness, but deny its power. And Paul said to young Timothy, have nothing to do with them. He said that the time will come, there will be people who have the outward trappings of spirituality. The outward trappings of godliness. But there's no substance. There's not the power of God within them. There's not the work of the Holy Spirit from within. And if there's ever been a, 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 a Christian culture that sees that, that recognizes this, this verse is playing itself out, it's today when there are so many who look spiritual but lack that sense of Christ in me, Christ working through me, Christ apprehending me. What, it, what Paul is talking about is religion without relationship. A faith that is based on, on outward trappings and on, on behavior. Where we think that the normal Christian life is, is not doing certain things, not using certain words, behaving in a certain way going to church services, having your quiet times, dressing in a certain way, not saying certain things. We, we think that the, the normal Christian life is all about our behavior. And none of those things are bad, what I've mentioned. Nothing wrong with going to church. I happen to be fond of people who go to church. I think it's a great idea. But it's not going to a building that makes one a disciple. One who is a disciple, will see certain fruit pour through their lives as a result. But if we switch it around, if we think the behaviors make one a disciple, when rather than a disciple because of the presence of God within them, resulting in certain actions, we lose intimacy with Christ. You follow me? If you believe that the, the, the foundation of your Christian life is behaving in a certain way, you're bound to see these fluctuations. If you understand that your Christianity has to do with you getting up each morning and saying, Jesus, here I am. Where are we going to go today? What do you have to do in me and through me today? Then there will be true uh, reality and, and stability and purity in your devotion to Christ. Sometimes disciples make their faith not just a matter of behavior, but they, they, their faith is resting on, on, on poor theology. That is to say, on not understanding the truth of who God is. There are many people that I talk to who, whether they say this with their mouths, and some do, or they behave this way, they assume that God is not interested in our lives as an individual. They have a, a theology, whether it's spoken or implicit, that God is he's out there, he's concerned about the big picture, but he is not concerned about what's going on in your life, the difficulties, the trials, the hopes, the dreams, the problems, that he's either disinterested or, or uninvolved, that's for you to deal with, that he doesn't deal with those small matters, that he's impersonal. And if that's, if that's our understanding, if that's how we perceive of God, what, we, what results in is a, is a certain blindness. We, we fail to see the activity of God in our lives because we just assume it's just a matter of, of fate. It's a matter of just 
coincidence. It's just what happens in our life. Rather than realizing that God knows what's going on in our lives, God's concerned with what's going on in our lives, and God wants to be active. So our theology can affect our faith and can cause us to have these these great fluctuations. And if we place Jesus in in an impersonal box, that he doesn't care or he doesn't see what's happening with us as individuals, what will also result in is a, a circumstantial blindness, a, a, a selective blindness. Because what we'll begin to do is we'll begin to say to ourselves, if God really was personal, if God really cared about my life, then the God that, that I know would do this or would not allow that. You know, I'm sure the disciples who saw Jesus walking into town had all sorts of specific expectations on what God was going to do for them, what Jesus should do as the anointed one, as the the sent one from God. That Jesus was coming into town and and he's he's going to be a a conquering warrior. He's going he's to get the Romans out from their occupation of Israel. That was their expectation. Surely Jesus is coming into to town today. We'll lift him up because he is going to lead an uprising against Rome and we are going to be free. So they had this expectation. This is what God will do if he's going to act. And then a week later, when they see Jesus hanging on the cross, forgiving those Romans who who nailed him to the cross, well, that didn't fit into their, their expectations, and they had a selective blindness. Well, he couldn't be God, and they turned against him. We we don't want we don't want a warrior who's arrested. We don't want a warrior who's sitting there beaten. That's not the God that that I'm going to believe in. And how many times do we have selective blindness because we projected onto God what he should be doing in our lives, how he should be acting, and what he shouldn't be doing. I'm sure that those same disciples who exalted him one day and turned against him a week later were thinking, if if he cares, then he'd drive out the Romans. If he cares for my life, then he he would know that I I need new tires for my chariot and would would give me the money. He'd understand that my my kids want those, those newfangled Nike sandals and he'd help me buy him for him. He'd understand the trials in my, in my home. If God really was God, here's what he'd do. And here's what he wouldn't do. And when we put God in those selective boxes, we allow ourselves to become selectively blind to his activity. And we lose that sense of intimacy. Does that make sense? How easy would it be for me to say, God, if you really are God... Then, then you're going to heal Penny. You're, you're going to deal with the cancer. You're going, to, you're going to take it away if you really cared, if you're really personal. But, but what if God's purpose in this moment is to say, I want to show you how personal I am by giving you a peace and, a, and an ability to walk in my presence in, in spite of the cancer. Well, if I already have placed God in a box of what should happen if he truly is God, then I'm not going to be seeing or embracing the provision that he gives. Does that make sense? That God wants to show his kindness and his mercy. And we need to be careful that we don't define for him how that will look at any moment in time. Now, I, I, I pray for healing every day. I know many of you do the same thing for Penny. But I want to have eyes to see his activity 
whether he wants to fit into my desires today or whether he says, no, that's going to be for tomorrow, perhaps, or next week. I want to let God be God. That's how we maintain intimacy with him. That's how we prevent ourselves from losing intimacy. Sometimes we, we lose intimacy just because we, we, we as a people are so desirous to be accepted by our friends, to be accepted by our culture. We don't want to look weird. We don't want to be out of step with culture. And therefore, when we find that the Christian life pushes against what culture says is normal or, or healthy or cool or appropriate, then we begin to, to push a little away from Jesus. Yeah, they, they wanted to, to exalt Jesus when he comes into town thinking that he's going to be their conquering hero and deliver them from Roman occupation. But when all of a sudden he's arrested like a common criminal... Even the disciples, when they asked, you know, aren't you a follower of Jesus? Peter's saying, I, I don't even know the person. Who you, I didn't follow Jesus. They denied Christ. They, they abandoned Christ. Because culturally, it just wasn't acceptable. And there's such a push and a pull in our lives to want to, to, want to look sophisticated with it. And we're living in a culture that being a follower of Christ isn't viewed as with it and sophisticated. When I, when I came to Christ in, in 1971, this was during the, the, the Jesus movement. And there were, you know, there were just, a, not entirely was the Jesus movement this way, but you know, a great portion of it, at least in, in my circles, were just a bunch of, of, of hippies that had gotten captured by Jesus, and it was looked on as cool. Yeah, put that picture up of, of my baptism. You know, when I told my friends, okay, you can take it down. When I told my friends, <laughs> when I told my friends at, at, at college I went to, hey, I, I, you know, I'm getting baptized, I'm following Jesus now, it wasn't like, you know, but you're just weird. That, what are you doing that for? It was sort of like, you know, hey man, now far out, that's cool. And you know, they wanted to come. You know, the, the culture was support. <laughs> the culture was supportive of, of my faith. But that's not the case now. And sometimes what we do, and we, it causes us to lose intimacy because we're not as inclined to want the people at work and our neighbors and our family and our friends to be aware of this desire that we may have to walk with Jesus. So we're, we're trying to walk with Jesus, but like, a, like a, a kid being dropped off at school by their, their mother or a father, can you drop me off a block ahead of time? Because I don't want people to know that, you know, my, I'm with my mother or father. You know, I, I know you're fine, but I just don't want other people to think that I think it's okay to have a relationship with my mother or father. Catch my drift? And we do the same thing with Jesus. And the result is these great fluctuations in our simple devotion to Christ. Sometimes we lose intimacy simply because we are unaware that the last chapter of our life has not yet been written. And we become so earthbound, all we can see is what's right before us and not what is down the road. Let, let me explain. This, this last week, as I was preparing, I was just reading in, a, in one of my Bibles. And I have different Bibles, different translations. And I was reading in a, a, a translation that I hadn't read for a long time. And I noticed that there were some verses that I had underlined quite a long time ago. Actually, it was in 2006. That, and I, it brought me back because so I had written the date above those verses. I had underlined those verses because they really had gripped me in that moment. What was going on in that, at that time in my life was that things with, with my kids were really unraveled. 
you know, my, my, my daughter, uh, Chelsea, who was pregnant with her second child, her, her husband had left, left her, and, and it, was, it just shook her to the core. My, my oldest son, Christopher, he had been diagnosed with Crohn's disease, and the Crohn's disease was just out of control, and they had done major surgeries and taken, you know, feed out of his intestines, and, and they had given him just all the Oxycontin he wanted, and he just began to take him, got addicted to the Oxycontin, was, was addicted in the midst of, this, of his disease, and then JT, who was seeing his older sister's life unravel and, I, and his older brother's life going through great trials, he was in a crisis of faith. And I remember at that time, Penny and I just felt, felt desperate because we saw the struggles that our kids were going through. And, and it was, oh God, won't you be at work? And, and put, put that next slide up, Greg. And I, th this verse, I think it's in Isaiah, I can't remember exactly. But this verse, I remember at that time, just grabbed me. And, and in verse 3, it says, Your wife will be like a fruitful vine flourishing in your home. And look at those children. There they sit around your table as vigorous as health and healthy as young olive trees. And I remember the Holy Spirit just, just leapt inside of me. And there's something that gripped me in that passage. And I, and I wrote the, what is that date? Uh, 9-18-06. I said, Lord, make this true. You, you, you have just brought that to my attention. It's like you're saying, you're going to do this before me. But folks, it was years before we saw God really resolve those issues in various ways. You know? I mean, it, it was years where Christopher struggled with, with that addiction. And with the Crohn's disease. And now he's free of the addiction. And either the Crohn's has been healed or he's been in a seven, eight year remission because he's had no problems. Chelsea's life is, is stable now. Her marriage, it didn't work. But she's strong and stable and thriving spiritually. And JT, well, JT. J, you know, no, JT's, JT is, is doing well. But I remember looking at, at that verse, and if I had said, Lord, this is what you need to do, and you need to do it now, it would have fractured my intimacy. I had to remember the last chapter hasn't been written, and I need to allow God to do what he's going to do when he chooses to do it and how he chooses to do it. Otherwise, our intimacy, our devotion to him is just going to go up and down. Does that make sense? But there's, there's another reason why we, we can fluctuate so much in our devotion as, as disciples. And that is what we lose a sense of mission. We lose the sense that God has called us for a purpose. When he invited us to follow him, it wasn't because he was bored. It wasn't because he was lonely. It wasn't just a, a momentary project that he had to be close to us. The reason why they call Matthew 28, 18 and, and beyond the Great Commission is because it was God's co-missioning of us. It was that moment when God said, my mission has now been given to you. You are now entering into the ministry that I have. You're entering into this mission that I have. If we don't have a clear picture of why we exist, why Jesus came, where we're going, then our lives will constantly fluctuate with whatever the circumstances are. And that's what happened to the disciples in that one week between the triumphant entry and who should I release, Barabbas or Jesus? All they were able to see is what was right before them. They didn't have a sense of the big picture of what God was doing and why Jesus came, which went far beyond and was far broader than the activities of that week. They needed to understand the, and the reasons for deliberate discipleship because they were, 
they were being woven in to a, a, a tapestry of what God has been doing throughout the ages. But all they could see is what was happening in those few threads of that week. John the Baptist, you look at John's devotion to Christ, his walk with God, and the reason why there was such, such passion with John the Baptist is he saw the big picture. He saw that Jesus was not just there for, for that moment. But when Jesus came along and wanted to be baptized by John, John understood. And, it, and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The reign and the rule of God who is enthroned in heaven is slicing into this world. And the reason why John the Baptist proclaimed that the kingdom of God was at hand is because when he saw Jesus, he said to himself, there's the king. The king has stepped off the throne of God, has come to earth, and therefore his reign and his rule is at hand. It's right at the door. John had the big picture. He understood what God was doing, and he understood his role in that activity. When Jesus on, came to the temple in Capernaum, and he opened the scroll of Isaiah, Jesus understood his purposes to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the, those in bondage, to heal those who were hurting, to lift up those who were being pressed down. Jesus understood his role in the big picture. <coughs> Excuse me. And he says to us, now you go and be part of that big picture. Let me take the, your life and weave it together with all the other lives so that you can, you can create a picture of my purposes and my plans as the purposes and the plans of God slice into this earth. You go, he said to the disciples, and do the things that you've seen me do. You see, folks, we were created for mission. And when we lose sight that we are created to be part of this mission, be part of these purposes of God, when we lose sight of that, then our relationship with Christ begins to fluctuate. When all we're doing is shuffling around this, this world, eyes to the circumstances that, that befall us, then we forget who we are and why we are. And our devotion to Christ just goes up and down. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said that the thief, Satan, comes to steal and kill and destroy. But he said, but I've come to give you life. To give you a, an abundant life. A life that is, is full and, and satisfying. And, and now listen to me. This abundant life, this full and satisfying life can only be experienced when we are embracing what we were created for. Let me say that again. The abundant life, the full and satisfying life that we all desire can only be experienced when we embrace the purposes that we were created for. Let me say it once more. The abundant life, listen, the abundant life that we all want, that full and satisfying life, will only be experienced when we embrace those purposes that God has for our lives and that he embraced our life for. See, the abundant life isn't found 
when we finally get that raise. The abundant life isn't found when we finally get the, the house that we want, the car that we want, the, the husband or the wife that we want. The abundant life isn't going to be found when we get all the circumstances of our, of our life to line up in a nice, clean, straight line. The abundant life is only found when we embrace that we are created for a purpose, which is to be a to, to, to take the commission of Christ, to take on the ministry of Christ, to be his disciple. And, and let me just ask the question, where do we do that? Where do we enter into this ministry? Where do we do the purposes that God has for you? Wherever he's placed you. Wherever you find. Each one of us are, are placed in, in a, a context, in a sphere where we are to be his disciples. Where we can be used by him. We just need to ask, what, what are those spheres? What are the, what's the context that God has, has placed me? Because he's put people in those spheres for you to impact. It may be the cashier that you always see at Kroger. It may be the waitress that always comes to your table at Bob Evans. It, it, it could be a, a neighbor who's been in your place in your life or a co-worker who's, who's in the cubicle next to you or the, the student who's at the desk next to you. People at work, school, neighborhood, even your family. What's the sphere that God has placed you in? Because that is the context where we get to be his disciples. And you may be thinking, well, my sphere is just not big enough. I want a bigger sphere. You know, it, it, it says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, that we have, I think we have that verse up there. Yeah, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. That's the message that we've been given. And that's been given to us. And we are Christ's ambassadors. And that makes your home an embassy. That makes your desk at work an embassy. That makes your, your, uh, your cubicle an embassy. That makes anywhere your foot falls an embassy where you can reflect Christ. You could be an ambassador of his kingdom, of his reign, and his rule. And when we lose sight of that, we lose sight of Jesus and his purposes in us. And you may think, well, my, my sphere is just way too small. I don't have that much influence. It's not fair. Some other people have big spheres. Mine is a little sphere. There, there is a guy, obviously you all have heard of this guy, Edward Kimball, right? You all know Edward Kimball real well. But you've all been influenced by Edward Kimball. He lived back in the mid-1850s. He was a Sunday school teacher. And Edward Kimball had a class of students, and, and there was this one student in his class, a kid named Dwight, and Dwight just wasn't really you know, responsive to the message and to Edward Kimball's, you know, involvement. And one day Edward Kimball thought, I, I just have a, I have a desire for Dwight to really come to know Jesus. So he went to where Dwight worked. It was at his uncle's shoe store. And he went into that shoe store, began to share the gospel of Christ, and something, something turned in Dwight's heart. And, and Dwight just surrendered his life to Jesus that day because of these words of, of this... Sunday school teacher named Edward Kimball. Well, Dwight, who, who many know as Dwight L. Moody, Dwight ended up growing up and, and becoming an evangelist himself. And he began to have evangelistic meetings. At one of Dwight Moody's evangelistic meetings, there was a fellow named Wilbur uh, Chapman. And Wilbur Chapman got captured by Christ, gave his life to Christ, began to follow Christ, and he grew up to be an evangelist. And Chapman became a well-known evangelist. And at one of his meetings, there was this, this baseball player from Pittsburgh who, who listened to the, the message. His name was William Ashley Sunday. 
and William, you know, heard the message of Christ, responded to it, and it captured him. And then William, who is also known as Billy Sunday, grew up, became an evangelist, after he retired from baseball, ended up doing some evangelistic meetings and ended up having a man named uh, Mordecai Ham come to one of those meetings. Mordecai Ham becomes a Christian, begins to hold meetings, and some young kid named Bill, Bill Graham, went to the, one of those Mordecai Ham meetings, and Billy Graham got saved at that meeting. And, and you think of the, literally, they estimate two billion people have either heard Billy Graham on TV, read his books, went to meetings that he had held. I, I had it on my Facebook page. I just asked the question, how many people were influenced or by the ministry of Billy Graham. Over 70 people on my Facebook page were influenced or came to Christ because of Billy Graham. And how did that happen? Because Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, recognized God has given me a sphere of influence with these kids, and I want to be used by him. What's your sphere of influence? Where does God call you to be an ambassador? Is the embassy empty because we're out building our own kingdoms rather than being representatives of the king? Why don't you stand up? Christ has called us to take handfuls of heaven and bring them to earth, to see his will done on earth as it's being done in heaven. And it behooves every single one of us to say, Lord, here I am, use me. That's the purpose of this entire series. Lord, I want to walk with you. I want to walk in intimacy with you. And I want to be captured by this high calling that you have given me to take on your mission. To not be about the, the, the things of this world to be about the purposes that began in eternity past and carry on in eternity future. And we're not going to be able to always do it clearly and easily. We're not always going to be able to understand the fullness of what God has, but we can still, moment by moment throughout the day, say, Lord, here I am. Use me. Now, one of the things the Lord spoke to me is that there are undoubtedly are people here today who have never surrendered your life to Christ. You may have been going to church for most of your life, but you've never said, Jesus, come and take control of my life. So I, some of you did that at a point in time, but since you've sort of put them on a shelf. I'm going to go ahead and pray your prayer out loud. I'm going to ask everybody to just right now bow your heads, close your eyes. If you need to recommit or for the first time, commit your life to Jesus. Why don't you pray with me? Father, come and take my life today. I don't even know all that that will mean, but I want to be a part of your purposes and your plans. I don't want to become religious, but I want a relationship with you and to know you and to see your activity in my life. Jesus, open my eyes up to see the sphere of influence that you've given me. The people that I can be a reflection of who you are to. Come, have your way in my life. Now, now with your eyes still closed, your head bowed, if you prayed that prayer, just, just acknowledge that to God and to me just by lifting your hand up right now, right where you are. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. We get to be his disciples, folks. You can look up. We get to be his disciples. The, the Spirit of God is here. He wants to fill us. He wants to use us. We're going to just take the next few minutes as we do one final song. If you're here today and you just need that, that release of the Lord by his Spirit, you're here today and you have physical... Uh, illnesses, emotional, relational problems that you want prayer for, come to the front. We're going to just pray for you for these last few minutes and ask God to come. But we have a, we have a chance of saying, Lord, here I am.
apprehend my life fully. Let's go ahead and worship. Once you come forward, let's make sure that everybody that comes to the front has someone praying for him. Let's surrender to him. Father, we just give you our lives today. Come apprehend us. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see your purposes and your plans. Give us hearts that would be responsive. Father, take hold of us. We pray that your, your kingdom come. And your will be done here on earth like it's being done in heaven. And Father, I pray that you would do it in us and through us. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Have your way in our lives. Capture our hearts. Fill us with your Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. In prayer, feel free to continue. Before you rush out, a couple of quick things. Don't forget, if you've not been baptized, we have a baptism informational meeting starting in five minutes. Just come into the, the, the uh, visitor's welcome and we'll show you where that class is. Also, uh, don't forget as you leave, use those benevolence boxes to help bless the Franklinton Vineyard. Just place a, a check in those boxes and, and Franklinton Vineyard will get all that money. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week. <laughs>